Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deannon, she, her pronouns, a program manager at MCP, and I am joined by two mentors, Kala and Sarah. So our listeners shared that we needed more elementary voices and I couldn't agree more. Welcome, Kala and Sarah. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. It's so exciting to be in this space with you. And so thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. I know that Kala has been a mentor with us for a year now. I think her one year is coming up in February, right, Kala? Yeah. Yay. And I was just telling (laughs) Kala as well, like we've actually, um, I haven't had a lot of time with Kala, so I'm really excited to get to know Kala a little bit more. And then of course we have Sarah who just became a mentor this past December. So welcome aboard, Sarah. How exciting. Thanks. It is very exciting. (laughs) So first of all, happy new year is 2022. Um, How are you both feeling? Let's start with Sarah and then Kala. So right now I'm feeling pretty good. Um, My class this year is They're doing great. I have a big class. They're definitely had a hard time the past few years, but we're working well. We're working through it. Um, So far, 2022, we started off on a positive note. Yeah. And 20, I'm excited to see what 2022 brings. It's been um, a year of growth so far um, just in the past month. So I'm kind of just excited to see where we go. Yay, that's always exciting to hear. Um, my 2022 has definitely been on a more positive um, a positive side, which is really great because I've just had such interesting you know, previous years. So tell us more about who you are and how you started your MCP journey. We'll start with Kala. Yeah, so I'm an early elementary teacher, I'm also a mom. I have a kindergartner and a three-year-old, but um, I am early elementary through and through. Um, this is my 12th year straight in first grade, actually. I was thinking about that the other day. I haven't taught another grade since my first year, which I taught second grade. Um, I started on Modern Classroom Journey kind of when we initially shut down in March of 2020. I was on a district leadership team that was talking about how we could move forward from where we were, um, what we could take from that distance learning, and how we could build that into our future, um, and how that could kind of change what our teaching looks like. So um, an article was shared with our team about Modern Classrooms. A small team in my building started to look at that and kind of dive into it. We completed, I think there were three of us that completed the mentorship program at my, in my building. Um, I started implementing in that fall then of 2020. And then early on in 2021, I applied for a distinguished educator and then became a mentor. And like you said, I'm, I'm coming up to a year now. And I think I've had 31 mentees I checked um, complete the program, which was super exciting. I've learned so much from them. And now I'm, I've fully transitioned my math and writing teaching to this model in my first grade classroom and starting to kind of think about how I can move that into other places. Holy moly, 31 mentees. That's exciting. And also 12 years in first grade. Ugh. Ugh. I know. Knock on, knock on wood that I stay there, right? And Sarah? So I teach fifth grade at the elementary level. Uh, I started with Modern Classroom Project or kind of poking around the model in December of 2020. During that time, um, district admin had gathered together a group of teachers that they thought could help others feel a bit more comfortable incorporating technology into their daily lessons. Because at the time, 
we were a district that we were on Zoom with our students for five hours a day straight, kind of giving that direct instruction for the entirety of our days. So I joined that team, um, started looking into the model, took the free course, watched the Edutopia video, all of that. Um, in January of 2021, one of my coworkers, Jess Billy, she's a third grade teacher at my school. Um, she and I just called each other one weekend and we were like, this math, what we're doing, trying to be face-to-face teaching and it's not working. This is not working out. Let's jump into it. So over the course of a weekend and a lot of hard work we created. We each created our first unit for math, she in third, me in fifth, um, and haven't looked back since. In September of 2021, I um, went to the virtual or took part in the Virtual Summer Institute, which was great. Applied to be a distinguished um, educator right after I did the Summer Institute, got it in September, and then in December became a mentor. And I just picked up my two first mentees for February. So I'm excited. It's kind of been a whirlwind, but it's working out well so far. And I'm so excited for you, Sarah. I can't even remember my first two mentees. So I know that you're going to have a blast in this journey and we're here for you as well. So it's exciting. Um, One thing that really stuck out to me is that you both had a community of teachers who are really interested in um, implementing this model, which is really exciting, right? This is something that I tell um, teachers who are interested in this model all the time is that, hey, find yourself a teacher bestie um, to do this model with, because I think it'll be a lot more attainable um, if you have someone that you're doing this model with as well. And so um, thank you for sharing your story. That was really cool. Um, Tell us more about your school so you can talk about like demographics, total number of students, location, technology, anything you want to tell us about your school. We can start off with Kala. Yeah, I teach at Doherty Elementary, and it's in West Bloomfield, Michigan. We're in in the kind of metro Detroit area. Um, The kind of cool thing about my school is we're kindergarten through second grade school, so we really have an elementary, early elementary focus. Um, I've been there since about 2016. Um, This year, I was just checking. I think we're about 500 students, just under 500 students. So we have a large number of sections in each grade, which really gives us the opportunity to collaborate with team. I'm, I'm on a team of seven first grade teachers. So we have a lot of um, knowledge in that building, which is wonderful. Um, I was the first person on my team to implement, and I have had several of my team members um, and staff in my building go through the course, and they're just kind of thinking about how they can apply this at this point. Um, But my district has, we have one-to-one Chromebooks, which has been super helpful with the little ones. Um, One thing that I found that has been really helpful is wireless mice, which like the touchpad is fine, but wireless mice is just like this, wireless mouse is this amazing um, tool that I was able to write a grant and get some of those. So we have a whole class set. We just store them like in an over-the-door shoe holder, and it just has really changed um, my students' ability to use the Chromebook a lot easier. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of our technology that we're using. We use Canvas as our LMS, which with practice, we've been able to make it work really well, even with six and seven-year-olds. Um, but yeah, I get, the biggest thing about our school is that it's K2, so we're able to really focus on what our early elementary students need. Wait, holy moly, Canvas and K-2? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we, yeah, when they rolled it out, it was, you know, K-12 initiative for our district when we were remote and we all looked at it like, wow, that's, that's a lot of text on a page, but really <laughs> we've been able to make it work. A lot of buttons, a lot of, a lot of videos giving directions. So it works. <laughs> wow. I may have to pick your brain later on for that. That is fascinating. Um, 
wow, that's that's great. Um, you have about 500 students and you have seven in your team. That's incredible. That's a lot of fun. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Um, all right. Thank you for that, Sarah. What about you? So I work at Lincoln Thompson Elementary School. It's in Lynn, Massachusetts. So it's just north of Boston. Uh, my school is a K to five school. It's a tiny school. We only have about 200 students um, in a much larger district of about um, 15,000 students. So my school is a tiny school that's plunked into a much larger city. Um, we have a high population of English language learners. And so I feel like this model has definitely helped me reach some of those students a lot more. Um, for technology, Lynn Public Schools, we didn't have a ton of technology before the pandemic. Now all of our students um, in grades one through 12 are one-to-one with laptops, which was fantastic. Each student received a laptop. They got headphones. They got a mouse, um, which was great. That really helped the transition um, because our students, again, before they were using laptops, a few are not laptops, they're using desktop computers. A few times during the week, we didn't really have a technology course. Now we have a fourth prep with technology, which is awesome. They're using those laptops daily. And we use Schoology as our LMS. This is our second year in Schoology. And again, it's K to 12 are using it um, all at different capacities, different ways. But it's been working out. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with, um, that's what happened with COVID, right? Like a lot of schools were really forced to get into technology. So if you didn't have it before, it was like, ah, now you kind of have to have it. Um, and it's really good to know that your school was able to provide all of those resources for students. Um, and so, you know, they got their headphones, um, they got their Chromebooks, which is really exciting. Um, and I think another thing too, that was, um, Kala, back to like what you were talking about with the wireless mouse, I would have never thought to have that option for little kids, but it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's it's a lifesaver and it's just one less barrier between them accessing what they need. Um, they don't have to learn a new, I mean, a mouse is still new, but it's not as novel or difficult as that touchpad. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it too. I, I taught adult ESL and so some of my adult learners had never touched a computer before and I was teaching computer lab as well. So it was like computer skills and English skills on top of that. And so um, them knowing how to work the mouse was really interesting. So I can only imagine that would be with, with younger kids as well who's never had a mouse before, right? Like they have to figure out what those skills are. Oh, that's so much to think about. Um, okay, so Kala, tell us more about your thought process in implementing a self-paced structure in your classroom, especially with your first grader. So like, how does self-pacing look in early childhood? Yeah, so initially my goal for self-paced learning in my class was just that I could keep students moving forward in their learning um, and then also provide support so all of my students can keep moving forward. They can all make progress, right? So right now, like I said earlier, my math and writing are self-paced um, from a uh, student experience, I guess, um, when we're starting either one of those subjects throughout the day. Um, I do spread them out so it's not back-to-back. Um, we do other um, instruction forms throughout the day, but when we start writing or we start math, we gather together, we take a look at our progress tracker. So my progress tracker has just the assignments that any students happen to be on. So if there are student assignments that we've all passed or that none of us are, have made it to yet, I don't put those on our tracker just to kind of limit what they see. Because again, they're six and seven, um, sometimes they're five when they come to me. So they're young and they too much um, visual information would be hard to navigate. So I lead them kind of through what their goals are for the day, 
what do they need to get done? Um, what do they want to get done if they have some choice? And then who are they going to get some support from? Or who might they make of themselves available to support? Um, so some of my students who might be a little farther ahead in the lessons um, could make themselves available to others. <clears throat> they, like I said, they log into their computers, they access their work from Canvas. Uh, most of what I do is housed in Google Slides. So they use that to navigate their assignments within Canvas. Um, and something that might be a little bit different for um, my students um, in early childhood is that I, I generally make one or two new assignments available a day to work on. So like I said, um, for early childhood, um, sometimes the lesson is just me giving directions for a math game or even early on and like a unit zero is me just explaining how to take a picture and submit something or how to find the button to submit something. Um, but when I said it's like simply giving directions, like that's a full lesson for a six-year-old that's modeling um, a game, giving instructions on how to find a partner to play. Um, so sometimes that's what a lesson is and that's what a game is. And that's one new thing that they have to do that day um, for the students who are on pace. When I see students that always have a new assignment to work on, that's me having some control also over that self-paced process. So um, keep them reined in a little bit and they're not too far apart from each other. They still have the opportunity for collaboration because they're not being able to access an entire unit at once. Um, again, only being six and seven, seeing that full unit in front of them could kind of be overwhelming and difficult to navigate. So to make it manageable, um, I open one to two assignments for the day. And then if a student finishes it, um, my next step is a choice board of aspire to do activities. Um, we call them dolphin activities because that's our school mascot and it just is kind of fun. Um, but those changes are objective change. So as we move through a unit, they change with what we're working on. Um, there are also the students then who are working through earlier lessons. Um, they can know they know they can find the students who are on our dolphin and they can go to them first if they have a question about maybe submitting or where to find the work that they need. Um, I spend most of my time in one-on-one -on -one conferences that are pretty fast. It's actually been um, a big change for me to think about how I used to spend um, maybe my workshop model of time and how I used to have um, a larger group for a larger amount of time. And now I'm really spacing my time out where I'm working with students quickly um, to kind of review um, maybe some work that's been submitted during the day, um, maybe working in a small group from what I saw the previous day, but also I'm doing a lot of collaboration facilitation. So like helping students to work together, like how, what does that look like when you're, when you're just learning to do that? Um, and how do I help you learn to help yourself? So um, you might not know how to submit something, but instead of just saying, I don't know how to do that, how can you find some help for yourself before just kind of giving up. So that's um, something that I've been really working on this year is working on helping ourselves, giving ourselves some resources. So throughout the day, I'm, I'm doing many different things, um, but it looks much different than what I've seen in the past, might have seen myself do in the past. And um, at first it was a little bit scary because I wasn't sure, like, am I doing this right? But I've noticed now I'm able to catch those big gaps before they become big gaps because I have a quick time that I can check in with somebody, fix any mix misconceptions, and then they can move on. But we kind of wrap up our day um, going back to our goal. Did we do what we want to get done? Did we get done what we wanted to get done? Um, what did we actually get done at our work? And then we also have that conversation with a partner, some accountability. Um, and then sometimes it's more formal as the unit goes on. They might submit something to me in Canvas, um, letting me know kind of their goals and how things are going. Um, but that's kind of how we wrap things up. Kala, this sounds so fascinating. I like want to be in your class just to see how it is in first grade. I mean, I can't even imagine working with six, seven or five year olds like what that I can't wrap my head around. 
did. It's so much fun. Like, it's just, it's a blast. It's not anything that you would expect it to look like when you walk into a first grade classroom, but it is the best part of my day. How long would you say it took for the students to get a hang of this self-pacing structure? I don't know. I was actually talking to a mentee about that the other day. And I was like, I kind of like block out the beginning of the year sometimes, right? Like all the routines and procedures, like like how I taught them to go to the bathroom and to ask for all of these things, right? But I know that it was no different than me teaching them any other procedure. It just was something I had to think a few steps ahead of what I needed them to do. Um, So I needed to know how I wanted them to turn things in, how I wanted them to access their work, just like I would ask, I would want to be able to teach them how to ask to go to the bathroom or how to um, find materials in in a regular classroom. Yeah. And something that I heard from uh, one of our kindergarten mentors actually was that there's a lot of handholding in the beginning, right? Because these are such young learners, they really need a lot of handholding and explicit directions on how to do certain things. Definitely. Very clear. And I, as a teacher, you have to really know where you're going with things before they even have access to any of that. Yeah. And I really like what you said as well of just having like one to two new things that students are looking at every day. Um, And just the fact that you said like, it's still like, I still control it, right? Like, um, so for teachers, excuse me, know, us teachers, we have a hard time relinquishing control. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Um, And so it's really interesting to hear you say like, you could still have that control. It's still self-pacing and you still have a little bit of control because then students aren't all over the place. Right. So um, I love the fact that you chunk for your younger learners. So um, the pacing tracker, I would have never thought to just have like the specific lessons that you've done and not give them the entire thing to overwhelm them. Like that would have never been something I thought about. So that's really good to keep in mind. Um, And so and I like that you said sometimes lessons are just directions on how to do something. Right. Like it could be how to be a lesson expert or how you could find a partner. But those are still skills that need to be taught. Um, And so I really like that you take that time to teach students because I think sometimes as teachers, especially where in middle school and high school, right? Like we just assume our students know how to do something um, and that's not the case. So I, I appreciate you working with your younger kids and just teaching them explicitly what the expectations are and what the directions are so they can be successful in this type of learning. Um, And also just kudos to having like wrap up talks at the end, right? Like, hey, what did we actually do today? (laughs) Because sometimes in the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm going to do lesson one, two and three. And then at the end, you're like, no, I actually just did lesson one. (laughs) Right. And it's a way for them to like just reflect on some of the awesome things they're doing. I actually just had a conversation with a parent today who um, was asking me like, how are how is their child doing in math? Because she wasn't sure. And I realized that like, that student hadn't been sharing a lot about how she'd been working through um, the math unit. And so I brought her to my table and I was like, Hey, look at your last math assessment. And she was like, I got all of it. Right. It's like, yeah, you're, you're understanding everything. Like, let's think about the kind of the work that you're doing. And so it's just kind of time for me to think back, like, is everybody sharing? Is everybody thinking about what they're working on? Yeah. And, you know, I always talk about too, like, as, um, you know, for us to learn anything, right? Students, young, older, um, young adult, like we need to have conversations about what we're learning about. That's the only way it'll stick. So um, thank you for sharing that. Sarah, so you're in fifth grade. You have a little bit older students. Um, Tell us about your thought process on implementing a self-paced structure in your classroom. How does it look like in elementary? So fifth graders, even though they're a bit more independent, they still definitely needed a lot of handholding in the beginning. 
I did have a unit zero, um, started that off at the beginning of September. And a lot of the activities, the videos we just did, the class dojo videos, um, I used those. And then the activities were all social emotional learning, all about growth mindset. A lot of their mastery checks were just standing up and high-fiving a few kids or standing up and shouting, I believe in myself and just doing weird things like that. So one, to get comfortable with the classroom, going around, trying to find a place that if I need a break, here's where I'm going to chill out for a little bit. Um, But then also getting used to the structure of self-pacing with a hard end line um, in sight. And then also just getting used to being on the computer, go finding their activities, coming back to their desks, finding a partner, working with someone. Um, So it was a lot of that in the beginning. They definitely needed that handholding. However, now I'm going to be starting my eighth unit and the students are doing really well. Um, before winter vacation, my students were still able to work together. They were able to find a partner um, or to work with someone who might be um, a bit ahead of them to help them on an activity that they don't quite understand. Now, after winter vacation, we came back with some new guidelines in Massachusetts. And so it's a bit harder for students to work together, but we're still making it work. It just looks a little different. Um, for my class, I have three progress trackers that really set the whole stage for self-pacing. I have a student-facing tracker that each of my units has some sort of a theme. So this unit right now, we're working on volume. It's called Stacking Up Volume, and our theme is Legos. So the game board, it has all of the lessons, the entire unit there laid out for them. And it's all in the LMS. So they have a Lego piece that they move around the game board. And so that way they're able to keep track of their own pace. Um, I only implement currently in math and each of my math units are between four to seven, maybe eight lessons long. Each of my lessons should take about a class period and it's the video activity and then mastery check. So everything is there for them, color-coded in the LMS, um, and then also same color coding in their their map, their game board. And then I have a classroom-facing tracker that has three different sections on it, catching up, right on track, and ahead of schedule. And each of my students underneath one of those sections is their first name and their lesson number. That way, if someone needs a little extra help, they've already gone back, they've watched the video again, Um, I have a three before me rule in my class. So they find someone who is a lesson or a few ahead of them. And they can ask that person because that person's already mastered the lesson. They've done all the work, so they should be able to help. Um, And this year, it's actually really cute. I have a bunch of students who are the AOS crew, the ahead of schedule crew. And their goal, they've told me, is to remain ahead of schedule the entire time um, and to try to get other students to be ahead of schedule too. So that's really cute. Um, And then I have my teacher tracker. My teacher tracker is more just a checklist that I keep that um, I just check off each individual piece of the lesson that the students have completed. It's where I keep grades for the activities if I choose to grade them or the mastery checks. Um, And that way, if students, because again, they're fifth graders, they're 10, 11 years old, if they don't keep track of their game board and where they are with their piece one day, they forget to move their progress tracker, then I'm able to tell them exactly what they're on. But so far, they've been doing uh, pretty well with that. I also use the teacher tracker for students 
um, who I have who are out sick because still currently students are quarantining for one and a half, two weeks at a time. Um, And so when students are out, they're able to jump back in, even if we're on the next unit. If I see on my checklist that they haven't finished the unit, they're able to jump back in where they were. um, And then within a few days, try to finish that unit, take the test, and then come right back into the unit where we are. And so far, I've had quite a few students who have needed to do that, but they've been pretty self-sufficient. They've been able to do that, take the test, and then keep on moving, which is awesome. So during that time, while my students are working on whichever lesson they're touching upon or the activity, the mastery check, I am working with students. Um, I can't necessarily pull a small group anymore, but I can work with a student one-on-one at my table, or I just kind of float around the classroom, checking with my students, making sure each of them is getting what they need. Even if I can't pull those small groups, I'm still able to check in with them, see what they're doing. They're still passing in their activities, passing in their mastery checks. I can still have those quick meetups with them because I have the time because the rest of my students, like I said before, are pretty self-sufficient. They're all doing what they need to be doing. Sarah, you said some really incredible things. Um, I teach, again, sixth grade, right? So I feel like fifth grade, sixth graders are kind of similar, but really different at the same time. Um, I love the movement that you incorporated with them, right? Like giving high fives or like just celebrating their wins. And I love that. I used to do that with my students as well, right? So sometimes um, my students would um, get really tired of the instructional videos. So then I started incorporating some movement breaks in the video, right? So that I know, oh, they're in this part of the video. So it could be as silly as like stand up on your chair and stretch or like take, you know, walk around the classroom. And so you can see students doing different things movement wise, just so that they could have that brain break. So I really like that, um, that you had mentioned that in the beginning. Another thing too, that I really appreciate is the fact that you have catching up right on track and right on schedule, ahead of schedule. Um, And I love the phrase of catching up. I feel like it's a lot more positive than behind pace, because that was what I used in my classroom was behind pace. But I love the catching up um, aspect, uh, the phrase itself. Um, And then of course, you AOS crew, like how adorable is it <laughs> that their goal is to to stay ahead and also get other students ahead, like that's incredible. And I think um, that's one of the you know the pros of this model is that it really does create an authentic collaborative learning environment, right? And so students really want to work together um, and they don't see this as a competition. They see it as a, no, this is a community and I want to help my my friends and my peers succeed as well, which I, I find to be just so amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like some teachers will shy away from a classroom facing Um, from a classroom facing progress tracker just because they think it's going to be a tool of of ridicule or students will make fun of each other depending on where they are. But I feel like phrasing it as catching up, students can be catching up for many different reasons, whether again, they were out sick, whether it be COVID or something else, or um, they were down with the social worker for a period, or they had instrumental lessons, or they were at chorus. So they can be catching up for many different reasons. It's not always about not understanding the material. And I think right off the bat on unit one, they all understood that. There were so many different reasons for students to be on catching up that it was never um, anything negative. And so they have been working really well. I do have a lot of students who get so excited when I move 
their name because it's uh, it's projected on the smart board when I move their name to right on track or ahead of schedule. But again, I don't see anyone getting made fun of or being super upset if they are in that catch up section. You said it beautifully. Um, basically, it's how you introduce the pacing tracker, right? Like if you roll it out in a really positive way, the kids buy in. Um, and so if you buy in as a teacher, they also buy in. And I love the fact that like it's an intrinsic motivator, right? Like, oh, you're going to move my name. That's really cool. As a teacher, we don't have to buy them candy or anything to get them to move ahead. Um, but it's just more so they just want to see their name move forward or they want to see that color um, where their name is which is, I think is really, really, really great. Um, so yeah, that that's awesome. So then I have a follow-up question for you. Do you, so for your teacher tracker, where do you keep that? Is that on your computer? Do you print it out? And do you just do it manually by hand? Like, how does that look? So I have it printed out because again, um, for my classroom facing tracker, I usually keep that up on my computer for the most part. Um, sometimes I'll pause the screen, move to something else. But for the most part, that's the, that's there. I'm moving that live. So students, like I said, they get so excited when their name moves. So I, do I have to do it in the middle of class? No, but they love it. So I like to do it. So my teacher tracker, I keep just in a file folder kind of right in front of me at my station. Um, so in that way, I mean, I still have those students, because again, fifth grade, they're still they're still little kids. Some of them like to tell you, Miss K, I just finished the video, or Miss K, I'm 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 starting, I'm halfway through that activity. So some of them love to check in with me, even when I I know what they're doing, I know what they're handing in, I can see their laptops as I move around, but they love to check in with me and they like to see me check off their name on that tracker as well. So I feel like it's one of those things that I, I mean, I think everyone just loves to check items off on a list. And so I just have a list at the beginning of each unit. And as we go through, I just check off or again, that's where I keep their grades for mastery. If I do have a student that doesn't do great on the mastery check the first time, I'm able to write that down two out of six, four out of six, whatever it is. And then that way, when I work with the student and give them either that same mastery check to try again, or I give them um, a different one, focusing on the same skill, I'm able to see their growth and I can show them their growth right there too. Cause even if they don't get a hundred on the second mastery check, I can show them my checklist and say like, well, this first time you only got one, right now, maybe you didn't get all six, but now you got four. And so that right there is just a way, um, like we always talk about with this model that you have the data right there. Um, it's, that's kind of what it is for me is to keep that data right there. It's right at my fingertips. I can show it to them live. And so that's the greatest part of the, my teacher tracker for me. Yeah. And, and the beauty too, of just like focusing on growth, truly showing growth as opposed to just like talking about it. Like you can actually see it. Um, so, oh my gosh. And this is thing too, like Debbie and I always talk about how we, as teachers carried around a clipboard. And so it's, it's good to know that you print out your teacher tracker and you just kind of check it off. And there's, and that's, there's power to that. Um, okay. So we'll take a quick break right now. And we'll be right back. Hi everyone. It's Kareem here from the modern classrooms project. I just wanted to share some exciting news about our big virtual summer Institute this summer, the summer of 2022. Now, as many of you all know, the summer is one of the most popular times for folks to learn our model. It's a time where folks can take a step back from their normal classroom experience and really rethink and redesign their approach to teaching and learning. And this summer we plan to train 
3,000 educators this summer. Now, educators come through a variety of ways. You can enroll individually. You can enroll through a school and district partnership. And this year, we have some pretty awesome regional scholarship opportunities. These are scholarship opportunities for educators. If you're located in D.C., New York City, Connecticut, Chicago, Seattle, the Twin Cities, or Tulsa, these are folks who can just apply if you're an educator in these communities. And if you get accepted, you get a full scholarship to our summer institute and some really great perks, including a $500 stipend. So check them out. You can just go to modernclassrooms.org backslash scholarships to see the right regional scholarships. And you can just go to our website and you'll see at the top announcement bar, you can learn more about our virtual summer institute, see the variety of ways you can enroll individually or collaborate with us on a school or district partnership. I hope everyone's doing all right. Good luck with the rest of the year. Thank you for all that you do. All right, we're back. Um, and so thank you for sharing both of your thought process as far as self-pacing in early childhood, early elementary, as well as um, elementary school. So um, let's go, let's go, let's continue with the next question. It says right here, what is one challenge and one success you've had with self-pacing? So Calo, we, we can start with you. And then Sarah, you can just jump in whenever. Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge for me is definitely been related to planning and feeling like I could stay ahead of the game. So um Thinking about, you know, when I first launched, I had a lot more content because I had been working on it through the summer, um, but trying to stay ahead as I continued through the school year was pretty difficult. Um, and I decided to finally, you know, give myself that grace of I'm only going to be rolling out that one new um, assignment or a couple new assignments every day. So my goal for myself has been to be about a week ahead of where my students are. Now I have my content planned. Is it ready for students? No. So that's why I'm looking for that five day window that I have student facing work ready. Um, and then I have my plan for the unit. It just might not all be created or recorded by then. That has been the, really the only way I've been able to face that hurdle. And working with um, a lot of teachers as a mentor, that's the thing they've asked me is how do I stay afloat or how do I make this sustainable? And I think we just have to be honest with ourselves that the first year, you're not going to be able to be ahead as much as you'd like to be. Um, and if you are, that's amazing. And I want to know how you do it. But for me, I just, I just couldn't be. So for my students who are on pace, they will still have access to a new assignment or a new lesson every day, and then have those opportunities to assist and help work on aspire to do activities. But um, for myself, I can keep myself ahead of the game <clears throat> enough so that if I do have to be out um, or if there's a re way, reason why I couldn't record new content, I still have enough to go moving forward. Um, so that would be my biggest challenge. Uh, my biggest success is definitely that no matter what this year has thrown at us, whether we had to quickly go remote or whether we have students out for 10 to 14 days or myself out for that period of time, that my students are not missing that core instruction um, in math and writing. Um, Something that's shown more to be tr more true now than ever is that we never know when a student will be out for a long period of time. Um, and we're still on pace to finish our current unit when we need to finish it, um, which is amazing because I have a student, uh, several students actually, that I haven't seen since the beginning of December, um, except for maybe one or two times. And it's the end of January now. So I haven't seen them either because they've been out and then I've been out um, or we were remote. And even with all of that, they are still going to finish the unit and not only finish the unit, but be able to show mastery. Um, and that's something that I definitely would not have been able to say if I was just teaching traditionally. Um, so I'm really excited to, to be able to know that I'm providing the same opportunity for all of my students, whether they have to be out because of quarantine, whether they are sick or if they receive services that they need um, to be pulled out for, I'm still able to give them their instruction that they need. 
Yeah. And I would even add on to, like you said, you were gone for two weeks, right? Kala, is that what you said? Yeah. 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 And that was, um, for me, it was so much easier for me to be out because I knew that it did not disrupt the learning. It continued even when I was not there. So that's really great to hear that um, learning continued. And I think, again, that's why a lot of people really buy into this model as well, right? Um, And then as far as the challenge is concerned, I hear you. Um, I think the front-loading part of this is really overwhelming for some teachers. Um, And I really like your advice of like, you know what, like probably the first year you're not going to be ahead um, and maybe the next year also. And that's okay. And I think that's why um, the way that you have your self-pacing structure as well in your classroom, Kala, of just like having one to two lessons for the week or for the day or whatever that may be. So you still have that control um, that gives you time to work on the next couple of lessons as opposed to having all of it ready by then. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, What about you, Sarah? So one of my biggest challenges is that I have had students who have not finished units when it comes time for the hard deadline, the test date that comes up. Um, And I always just feel really guilty about that. And I feel that I should have done more to help them throughout this unit, even though uh, maybe they just they were stuck on one particular skill. They couldn't get past that. But I've always felt really guilty. Um, I do have some students that have taken advantage of this second chance form that I have that I'll staple to an assessment that maybe is, I mean, I really do it for any grade below a 70. If there's any student that wants to retake the test, they can, but I staple this second chance um, paper to any test that's below a 70. And what they have to do is they have to fill in the unit that it was on and then two ways that they could work to enhance their score if and when they take it again. And then I usually give them a few days they're able to come in either early in the morning or after school one day and retake that test. And I have seen it worked really well that I have students who, I one student in particular who was so proud of himself, he went from a 29 the first time to a 100 a week later. And I truly think he just needed a bit more time to process all of that information. But He went in, he finished the unit, he went back, studied those videos, um, gave himself more example problems, took some extra activities, came back, and he did such a great job on that assessment. Um, But then I have students who don't finish the unit and they don't take their time and go back. And I mean, they're they're young kids. And so that's to be understood. And um, the way that I've been kind of dealing with it is when I was teaching in the more conventional way. I would still have students who weren't mastering all of the skills I was teaching them. Um, But now, even if they don't go back and retake that test, I have my checklist. I know exactly where they ended in that unit. I know exactly what's in the lessons that they didn't complete. And so I know what they can and currently can't do. So even if they don't go back and take their own time to come back and finish that unit, I'm able to work on those skills with them throughout the rest of the year. So maybe they didn't have them for that test. Grades don't motivate everybody, um, but they will have them by the time they get to sixth grade because I'll make sure that I continue to work with them on those skills or if it's an entire class that was lacking on a certain skill, I'm able to put that into my whole group at the beginning of class. I'm able to put that in there before we go over our goals. I usually do a bit of whole group. It might be some review problems. It might be Um, a discussion on what's coming up next. So I'm able to work that in there. A huge success with self-pacing, I have to agree with Kala. Um, Same thing that when I have students who are out for two weeks at a time, 
if they feel healthy enough, if they're out because they're just quarantining, then they're able to continue with the math instruction the same as we are. If they're not feeling great and they actually they're they're sick for those two weeks or they're on vacation for whatever reason, they are able to come back to school instead of jumping into a new unit and completely forgetting about the last one. They have um, they have the autonomy to go back to that old unit finish the unit, take the test, and then come back to where we are. I have a student who he was recently out for two weeks. He was ahead of schedule, or he was ahead of pace when he left. When he came back, we were already on the next unit. He finished out the previous unit, took the test, and now a week later, he's actually back on track with where we are in the next unit. So that was kind of awesome to see. So successes with self-pacing, it's really just giving students the autonomy to to complete their units and to learn the material instead of just being on my schedule the entire time. Yes, you couldn't have said it better. Um, a 29, you know, from a 29 to 100, I mean, it just shows. And I bet you that kid was so proud and they probably learned a lot just being able to revise and go back and relearn what they needed to relearn. So, whew, that's exciting. Those are all great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so now what is one tip that you would tell a hesitant elementary teacher, early elementary, or just a fourth, fifth grade teacher, right, about self-pacing, Kala? Yeah, so I, this might be less of a tip and maybe more motivation, but for someone who's hesitant, but what made me really buy in um, before I even saw it work in my classroom or really saw it work in any classroom um, was a graphic that I remember seeing early on. It was either on the Modern Classroom website or it was in an article about Modern Classroom Project, but it highlighted the giant holes that we create um, during traditional instruction. And it, you know, based on absences and students just not being getting the instruction that they they need to receive at the time. But it made me realize that no matter what great lesson I had taught that day, that having so many students not being able to access just was creating these inequities amongst my students um, that I could solve that problem um, with the help of Modern Classroom Projects, but um, I could—I had a strategy to solve that. So I knew that even if I just started slowly with one subject and then kind of reflected on how it was going, that I could begin to address that. Um, and for me, I decided to start the place that I um, kind of dreaded teaching during the day. And I love teaching, but I really dreaded teaching writing um, because um, for 13 years, there was always somebody who wasn't there for my lesson that day. And they, it was so hard to move on. Um, writing in elementary school it takes a lot of handholding and um, gradual release. So if I am gradually releasing my students and I have a, a, a section of students who haven't um, heard any of my instruction, they don't know what to go and work on. And so it was very hard to have a successful workshop model where I could work with students and keep them moving when I was doing a lot of reteaching. So I decided to start with writing because I thought I could make a biggest, my biggest impact there and be most manageable for me. Um, so my tip is think about what's an area that you would want to have the biggest impact for you or your students, or even what could be the most manageable for you. Um, but think about how that will motivate you to, to stick with it and then kind of move from there. Kala, that what you said in the beginning, um, how you could have a great lesson and still students who are not there or students who are not, you know, like who are there physically, but got a lot going on. They're going to miss 
that great lesson of yours. So I really like that because I, I agree with you. And now reflecting back, I've had great lessons. And then I have a group of kids who didn't get it. And I would have to reteach them the next day. And I didn't have the capacity to do that for that day. because I had another lesson that I need to go over. Um, so I, I like how you approach that where you were like, writing is my least favorite to teach because of all of these things. And so this is where it's going to have the greatest impact. And then you like ran with it. That's, that's really cool. Thank you for that. Um, Sarah, what about you? What's a tip that you have? So my biggest piece of advice, like you said earlier, is to find another teacher that will go on this journey with you. Like I said before, that one of the third grade teachers at my school, Jess, she and I have been working together the entire time. And yes, two completely different grade levels, um, but it has definitely worked to have someone to bounce ideas off of, to share information as we're learning all of these new skills, recording, putting everything on the computer, on our LMS. It's just been really nice to have that person to talk to, to bounce ideas off of, to work with. And then also, if it's your first or even your second unit, you need to give your students and yourself much more time than you think that you would need to adjust. I know when I was planning my first unit and even this year, not my first unit, but it was my students' first unit. Um, I had allotted for a lot less time than what we needed. And so now I try to give myself and my students a bit more grace. So if you're just starting off, congrats. That's awesome. You'll love it. However, give yourself and your students time to get used to it, time to adjust, time to work out the kinks of this model, however it may look in your classroom, whether you're in person, online, a bit of both, um, and just stick with it. You know that. Thank you. Thank you for that, because you are absolutely correct. Um, And I know our listeners had a lot of questions about how this could potentially work for elementary. They're too young. There's a lot of skills that they need to work on. And you two have just basically debunked all of it and was like, no, it's actually you're able to do all of this, especially with handholding and um, explicit directions and really just modeling um, and lots of patience involved. Right. And so I appreciate you both. Um, so we'll start wrapping this up. But before we go, how can our listeners connect with you, Kala and Sarah? Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Teach C Miller. Um, Teach C Miller. And um, also, I'm pretty try to be pretty um, active on the Modern Classroom um, Facebook group. So if I have see any elementary questions, I try to answer those if I can. I have not really tried to be active in the Facebook group, but that's one of my upcoming goals is I'm going to start being a bit more active in the Facebook group, posting um, a few things that I've made that I would love to share out and then also answering questions as well. So you can definitely connect with me on there. Yay. So listeners, definitely check out our Facebook group. We do have about 8.6 thousand members now, which is really exciting. Um, and you'll be able to see Kala and Sarah there as well. So again, thank you, Kala and Sarah, for joining us today. Listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 73. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P R O J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Thank you.